Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. O Lord my God, Thou searchest me. My heart and mind are known to Thee. Nothing is hidden from thy eyes. When I sit down and when I rise, and from afar thou art discerning my thoughts and hopes, my secret yearning. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. I'd like to welcome you all to our Perseverance Family Conversation, and as always, it's great to be with you. And we would like to start our conversation, as always, by inviting Mary to be with us. Mary has many titles. Mary is the Mother of God. Mary is the Mother of the Church. Mary is the mother of each and every one of us. Also, we invoke Mary as we pray the Hail Holy Queen. Mary is our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So let's turn to Mary and ask Mary to pray for us and to pray with us and to accompany us in our Perseverance family conversation, as we say. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. <clears throat> Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So let's invite our spiritual director to accompany us. Our spiritual director is the Holy Spirit. Like Mary, the Holy Spirit has many titles, among which would be the Holy Spirit is known as the Paraclete. He's also known as the Gift of Gifts. 
He's also known as the sweet guest of the soul. Holy Spirit is also known as our counselor. Holy Spirit is also known as our consoler. Holy Spirit is also known as our interior master. St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, reminds us with these words. He says that we don't really know how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God intercedes with ineffable groans so that we can say, Abba. Abba, which means Daddy or Father. So we want to invite the Holy Spirit to be with us, to give us a lot of light in our intellect, as well as the fire of love in our hearts. As we say, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. Thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, and instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by the same spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady Fatima, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. St. Maria Faustina Kowalska, pray for us. All God's angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. How true it is, my friends, the family that prays together stays together. We're basically forming a family based on prayer, and that means a family based on union with God. So this morning I'd like to encourage you in the Masses I will be praying today. I'll have a Catechism Mass in the afternoon. And I'll have my Mass in the evening, so I'll place you on the altar. Of course, we should never underestimate the power of the Mass. The Mass is by far the, the greatest of all the prayers that we can offer to the Eternal Father. So I'll place all of you on the altar. So when I lift up the chalice, I lift up the host, I'll be lifting you up to the Heavenly Father and your intentions. But I'd like to offer 
as always, three special intentions for all of us. The first, that we would be really open to the Holy Spirit. As we read and meditate upon the Acts of the Apostles in these 50 days, which is the Easter season, that we would be open to the workings of the Holy Spirit. My friends, the key to sanctity is simply this. We're called to be docile to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. Docility, openness, being susceptible to his his inspirations. So that would be my first intention, that we would indeed be very docile to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. My next intention, I'd like to pray for your family, for your children, especially that your children would not be blinded by the false concepts that are being spread far and wide, especially in academics. I pray that your children would recognize that from the beginning God created the human person as man, woman, male, female, boy, girl. That your children would not be confused by the modern academic notion that one can choose his own sexuality and actually change it. You parents, you're the first educators. You have to insist upon your children getting to know Christ and his mother Mary, the perfect man, the perfect woman. So that would be my next intention, that you would assume your responsibility as primary educators of your children. Pray for us who are, as priests, we're called to pray and to preach, to teach the fullness of the truth. My last intention will be double for peace in the Ukraine. Let's keep praying for that. But I'd also like to pray that the Roe vs. Wade decision will be overturned by the Supreme Court. That our country that was based upon the principles of natural law, that every human person is endowed with inalienable rights, which are the right of to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And of course, if we're deprived of, of, of life by means of the atrocious promotion of abortion, we will not have liberty or the pursuit of happiness. So let's keep let's keep praying. 
Let's keep praying that we will be able to overcome through God's grace. Let's pray that we will be able to overcome with God's grace. Our enemies. So my friends, today, as we're into the month of May already, more than a week, I would strongly recommend that all of us grow in our devotion to Mary. So often during our conversation in a Perseverance family, I'll be suggesting to you certain Marian practices to augment and strengthen your your devotion to Mary. So today my suggestion will be that you read a good book on Mary. About a week ago I suggested a very important book on Mary, and I'd like to remind, re, re, I'd like to reiterate that. In suggesting that we do good reading, it can be today an audio book, it can be many different means, but classical, hardbound copy, nothing wrong with that. Because how can we get to really love someone if we don't know who that person is? That's common sense. That's common sense. We fall in love with a person that we get to know, admiring that person's qualities. So much so with with Jesus, Mary, and St. Joseph. We're getting to know and love Christ by meditating upon the gospel every day and giving you some ideas. So the book I'd like to suggest is written by St. Alphonsus Maria Liguori. The name of that book is The Glories of The Glories of Mary. You might even write that down. The The Glories of Mary. St. Alphonsus Maria Liguori, a doctor of the church. Beyond doubt, was one of the most prolific writers in the Catholic Church. He wrote so much and with, with such depth, such inspiration, such unction. However, as Mark Twain's literary masterpiece was St. Joan of Arc, the literary masterpiece of St. Alphonse Liguori would be the glories of Mary. And it's a commentary on the Hail Holy Queen who we pray at the end of the rosary. Which St. Alphonsus takes word by word that beautiful prayer. 
He explains it by using passages from sacred scripture. Then he'll take the fathers of the church. Then he'll take the doctors of the church. He'll take the saints and pious writers, all of them explaining the greatness of the Blessed Virgin Mary, her holiness, her power, her power of intercession, her love for God, her love for us, her merciful heart. Beautiful, beautiful book. Then St. Alphonsus will give a little story at the end of each explanation. Then he ends with a colloquy. Colloquy would be a conversation a conversation with with Jesus and Mary. So the name of the book is The Glories of Mary. Okay, so let's move from my Marian reflection into our reading for the day. I'd like to pull at one point for the Acts of the Apostles. All right. I'd like to pull out one idea. So we're in Acts chapter 11, verse 1 to 18. So the starting point of this is that the The apostles are going out not simply to the Jews, but they're going out to the Gentiles. And this happens when Peter is going to be visiting the house of Cornelius, who is not a Jew. He is a Roman, and he's going to be preaching to Cornelius. Cornelius will accept the word of God, as well as all of Cornelius' family, and Cornelius will be baptized, and he'll become an early follower of Christ. So the essential message I'd like to just transmit from this, so what I do is I explain the Bible, I give you the general interpretation, then I try to give you the practical application. The general meaning for this is what the document Lumen Gentium from Vatican II, which is one of the four dogmatic constitutions, De Verbum, Sacrosanctum Concilium, Godum et Spes, and Lumen Gentium, the four dogmatic constitutions. Lumen Gentium, chapter 5, is a chapter on the universal call to holiness. That means that all of us, all of us are called to become saints. So that's the idea I'd like to pull, extract, glean from this passage. The universal the universal call to holiness. 
that all of us, irrespective of our culture, our age, our physical condition, our past, all of us are called to become saints. All of us are called to become saints. Now, what might be a practical application for all of us striving to become saints? I'll tell you. I'd like to build upon one of the ideas that I expressed yesterday. I asked in my Perseverance family talk in English and Spanish, I was going through the one of the models for the church. A classical model of church is tripartite. The church suffering, the souls in purgatory. The church militant, that would be the soldiers for Christ, that would be us. Then the church triumphant would be the saints. In that, the church triumphant, I I mentioned all of you to try to choose and write down who your who who right now would be five of your most favorite saints. If you were not tuning into me yesterday, you might even think about that today and write them down in a notebook and then pray to them. Who are your five favorite saints right now? And these are the ones that I mentioned. We're talking about the universal call to holiness that Peter's going to go out and try to convert the whole world, and Paul even more so. Going beyond the Jews, going to the Gentiles. Gentiles would be the non-Jewish people. I mentioned, first would be Mary, the queen of the angels and the saints. Second saint I mentioned was Saint Joseph. Thanks be to God that we had the year of Saint Joseph. My third saint I mentioned was Saint Ignatius of Loyola. I am firmly convicted and convinced of trying to do all I possibly can to spread the knowledge, the love, and the practice of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Actually, that is the charism of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary to, to get people to do the spiritual exercises. To get them to do retreats. Might be the 30-day retreat or an 8-day retreat. Get people to do retreats. That's right. Get them to do retreats. Ignatian retreats are changing lives. That's right. Ignatian retreats are truly changing lives.
So I mentioned St. Ignatius as one of my favorite saints. Then I mentioned two others. St. Faustina Kowalska, I have a great devotion to her. Especially because of her promotion of divine mercy. St. Faustina was called by Jesus to be the secretary of divine mercy, to write down in all of her free time, the messages that Jesus was giving to her, which would be for the whole world. And then I mentioned, the last saint would be, I mentioned St. John Paul II. St. John Paul II. What a great Pope. And I could see John Paul II in the light of the reading of the Gospel yesterday as well as today. St. Pope John Paul II was the universal pastor of the Church from 1978, October, all the way up to the year 2005, April 2nd. John Paul II. And I happen to have been ordained by John Paul II. I should say St. John Paul II. So I have a holy head, holy hair, because I was ordained by John Paul II. What a privilege. So there's my there's my reflection on the reading today that the apostles are going to go out to try to spread the good news to the whole world. The universal call to holiness. All of us are called to become saints. And one of the ways in which we can implement this call to holiness, the call to become saints, is to get to know the saints, to read the lives of the saints, to talk to the saints, and then also to try to imitate their virtues. The greatest work of John Paul II in his 27-year pontificate was the publication of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The publication of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Catechism of the Catholic Church. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, there's a section that makes reference to the saints. The Catechism says that the saints can help, help us in many ways, but especially two ways. Their power of intercession, the saints can pray for us. The Beatles used to sing, get a little help from my friends. Well, our friends are the saints. 
the saints in heaven, they can pray for us and help us through the power of their prayers. And then the splendid example that the saints left us to meditate, but also to imitate. So I invite you today, pull out your notebook and write down five of your favorite saints. Then get to know these saints. Of course, we get to know Mary by reading about Mary, the glories of Mary. She I, she was the first on my list. St. Joseph, there is that book by Father Calloway. St. Ignatius Loyola, you can read his autobiography. St. Faustina, you can read the diary of St. Faustina and you can read a commentary on her life. And John Paul II, my friends, he's written so much, but the best biography that was ever written on John Paul II was written by the American writer George Weigel, in which he wrote Witness to Hope, which takes the life of John Paul II up to the year 2000. That Witness to Hope of John Paul II, written by George Weigel, is really a spiritual masterpiece. George Weigel went to Rome with his wife, celebrating an anniversary. John Paul II said, well, maybe you can write my life. So John Paul II had many interviews with George Weigel, and Witness of Hope was published. more than 20 years ago. So you can get a hold of that and read it. So let's move, my friends, then from the Acts of the Apostles, the baptism of Cornelius, the Apostles baptizing non-Jews and into the fold, the universal call to holiness. Let's move to the the responsorial psalm. Taken from Psalm 42. And the antiphon is, A thirst is my soul for the living God. A thirst is the soul for the living God. Let's reflect briefly upon that that concept of thirst, thirst. The Jews in the desert suffered from thirst and Moses hit the rock and water came gushing forth. St. Paul says that rock is Christ. Jesus in John chapter 4, he's passing through Samaria and he goes to the well of Jacob. And there's a sinful woman that's seeking water and Jesus says, give me, give me to drink. 
give me to drink. And Jesus maintains a conversation with this woman and then eventually she's going to be converted and she goes back to her her countrymen and she starts to proclaim that she's found the Messiah. Mother Teresa of Calcutta that founded the Missionaries of Charity. If you've ever gone to any of the chapels of the Missionaries of Charity, they have no furniture. They live a life of poverty. You go into the chapel, there's just a rug. You're called to take your sandals off like Moses took off his sandals before the burning bush. And there written on the wall is are the words, I thirst. In part of the charism of Mother Teresa and the missionaries of charity, well, she's called to slake or to satisfy the thirst of Christ by loving Christ in the Eucharist, but also in serving Christ in the poorest of the poor. Then Jesus, from the cross, he speaks seven times, his seven last words. One of the seven last words of Jesus was, I thirst. Now once again referring to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Catechism of the Catholic Church states, St. Augustine, who says that Jesus thirsts that you thirst for him. Jesus hungers that you hunger for him. So I'm mentioning many different biblical concepts and what the saints say about the whole concept of thirst. And finally we arrive at Psalm 42 verse 1. It says, as the hind, also another translation, the deer, as a deer yearns for the running streams, so my soul yearns for you, O Lord my God. As the deer yearns for the running streams, so my soul yearns for you, O Lord my God. Let's take that one verse, Psalm 42, verse 1. Now let's comment this verse. Let's try to transform this verse into an indignation contemplation. And let's try to become part of it. The more we become part of the life of God, the more we become holy, the more we're transformed. So try to imagine this. There's a deer that's walking through a desert, maybe Arizona, in the summer. 
It's a hot day. And the deer are traveling through this desert. Early in the morning he gets up. He's traveling through the desert and it's a very hot day. And the sun is beating down upon this deer. And the deer is thirsty. But no water. So he's walking step after step, minute after minute. The hours are passing. No water. He's in the desert. Finally, as the sun is going down, the deer encounters vegetation, whether some trees and plants and bushes and shrubs and ferns. The deer hears the rushing of running waters. And sure enough, he enters into that, the wood, and he sees running waters, a stream of fresh running waters. Imagine that you were that deer. You would be rushing to that stream and you would be drinking to your heart's content. So the psalmist is pointing out as the deer is yearning for the running waters, so should we be longing and yearning for God our Savior. So should we so should we be yearning. Longing for God our Savior. Yearning, longing for God our Savior. Yearning and longing for God our Savior. Remember the words of Augustine. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ hungers that you hunger for Him. He thirsts that you thirst for Him. And Augustine will go on to say in his confessions, O Lord, you have made our hearts for Thee, and our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee. So my friends, that's one idea I'd like to glean for your meditation taken from the psalm, Psalm 42. Now, we've arrived at the gospel for today. Let me give you a brief overview of the gospels that we've been reading the first three weeks into the Easter season. And then the gospel today is somewhat of a repetition of the gospel that we actually had yesterday in the Mass. So the Easter week, the Easter week, the church presented to us Jesus risen from the dead and appearing to the disciples and the apostles giving evident witness to the fact that he is truly 
risen from the dead. Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead. The full, the fulfillment of the Paschal mystery is the rock foundation of our Christian Catholic faith. Jesus Christ is not dead. He's truly, he's truly risen from the dead. Hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh. So Jesus appears first to his mother. That's not in the Bible, but we believe it. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Jesus appears to the apostles. Jesus appears to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appears to the apostles in the boat as they're fishing without any success. Jesus eats before their eyes. He takes a walk along the lake lake shore of Galilee, asking Peter if he loves him. This would be the first week. Second week, we read John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is the chapter in which Jesus meets Nicodemus. Fulton Sheen calls him the night man because he's always appearing at night in conversation with Jesus. You see Nicodemus in the with Jonathan Rumi in his series that he put together, Nicodemus and his wife. In John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus says, that means we have to enter the womb of our mother a second time. Jesus says, you're a master of Israel, you don't understand this? What will happen if I speak about more sublime things? Jesus was referring to water and the Spirit being born through the waters of baptism. That was uh, the second week of Easter. Last week, we spent the whole week. We spent the whole week, my friends, on John chapter 6. Very important chapter in the Bible in which Jesus, John is the gospel of the signs, the seven signs in which Jesus works miracles. Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fishes. Jesus walks upon the water. Then Jesus gets up in the synagogue of Capernaum. He gets up at the synagogue of Capernaum. And he gives an eloquent discourse. A profound meaning for us even today. And it's called the Bread of Life Discourse. The Bread of Life Discourse. In which Jesus, in no uncertain terms, he says to the 
disciples as well as us, he says these words. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood will have everlasting life and I will raise him up on the last day. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert that was given to them through, the, through Moses, but they died. Do not seek the perishable food, but seek the bread that brings eternal life. Many started to murmur and complain about Jesus. They said, this saying is too hard. Who can put up with it? And they get up and they leave Jesus. Jesus looks at his apostles and, 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 and asks them, are you going to leave me too? Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So this John chapter 6, the bread of life discourse, Jesus was making a Eucharistic prophecy of what would take place on Holy Thursday in the upper room, in the cynical, where Jesus would take bread and wine and he would say, take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. Do this in memory of me. There at the Last Supper was the realization, the bringing to fulfillment that prophecy in John chapter 6. The institution of the greatest sacrament, the Eucharist, as well as the institution, the institution of the priesthood, the institution of the Eucharist and the priesthood, and the both, of course, are intimately related. So, my friends, we're called to examine our conscience. We are called to examine our conscience. What is our relationship to Jesus, the bread of life? What is our relationship to Jesus Christ, the bread of life? Do we really believe? There are many statistics. You've got the, pre, the pure research studies, many of these modern studies in Catholicism have pointed out the sad but all too real fact that many, many Catholics, many, many Catholics do not understand or believe what the Eucharist is. Many do not understand or believe 
really what the Eucharist is. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll prove this, this, this statement to you. When I was a child, you probably had 80% of Catholics that would go to Mass on Sunday. And 20% would, uh, would miss, maybe even less. All my Catholic friends, they would always go to Mass on Sunday, taken for granted. Nowadays, you maybe have 25% of the Catholics who go to Mass on Sunday, regularly. Maybe less, depending upon the diocese. So a matter of two generations, we've gone from 80% going to Mass to 80% not going to Mass. And I would maintain, I would assert the following, that one of the primary reasons One of the primary reasons why many Catholics have walked away from the church can give many reasons. Many will say the scandals. Others will say, well, the church is always asking for money or, well, because of the pandemic. There are many, many excuses that we can level against the church. Because whatever you say about the church is going to be true. You've got the best of the best. You've got the worst of the worst. However, I would maintain that the primary reason why the primary reason why many Catholics have abandoned the practice of the faith is because they no longer believe in the Eucharist. Possibly because of a poor catechesis, they re really never understood it in the first place. I repeat, because of a watered-on, weak catechesis, they never learned what the Eucharist was in the first place. And if they don't want to know what the Eucharist is, what's the purpose even of going to Mass? I would call that a Catholic identity crisis. A Catholic identity crisis. So there's my reflection, my friends, on Last week's readings, John chapter 6. Let's move into the gospel today. The fourth Sunday of in the Easter season, the gospel is John chapter 10. And it's the gospel of the Good Shepherd. It's also known as Good Shepherd Sunday. 
It's also known as Vocation Sunday. Good Shepherd. In the most obvious interpretation of this passage of the Good Shepherd is the following. Jesus states it unequivocally, without, without hammer or haul, without any confusion. Jesus says, he says that I am the bread of life. And then he says, in the gospel yesterday, I am the bread of life. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And he goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. I call each by name. And they hear my voice. He says, I'm not like the marauder or the hired hand. That once the marauder, the hired hand, sees the wolf, he flees and leaves the sheep at the mercy of the wolves. And the wolves are merciless. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Then he goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. I am willing to lay down my life for my sheep. That's exactly what Jesus did for the sheep. He laid down his life for a sheep by, on Good Friday, going through his passion and allowing himself to be crucified for our sake. Shedding his blood for our, our sake. And he said, I've come that you might have life and life in abundance. The ironic twist is that Jesus died shedding his precious blood for us. He died so that we could have life. How, how ironic that is. He who is life himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who is life himself, he died for us. He suffered and died for us. So that we might have life and life in abundance. We say in the Mass, after the double consecration, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. So Jesus Christ, my friends, He indeed is the Good Shepherd. He is the Good Shepherd. And the flock, my friends, we are part of the flock. The flock would be 
the Church of the Established. Many interpretations of the Good Shepherd. The Holy Father, the Shepherd of the Flock, which is the Catholic Church. The Bishop, who is the overseer of his diocese, who is the principal teacher of the diocese, is the Bishop. The pastor in the diocese, and the, rather the pastor in the parish, as well as his, the associate pastors, we as priests, we are called to be good shepherds. And with respect to you, you are also called to be good shepherds. That's true. Many of you are mothers and fathers. You're called to you're called to be good shepherds. You're called to be good shepherds of the flock that is entrusted to you. The flock that is entrusted to you, my friends of course, is your family. And the sheep of your flock would be your children. So let me tell you the secret. The secret of being a good shepherd to the flock entrusted to us. Here's the secret. For you as well as for me, for us to be good shepherds to our flock, first of all, we have to be good sheep. We have to be good sheep of the Good Shepherd so that we can be good shepherds of our flock, of the sheep that are entrusted to us. So you might even pray today in conjunction with your meditation on John chapter 10 and the Oxy Apostles called to be good shepherds of the whole world you might even pray with fervor the most famous psalm in the world related to John chapter 10. That is Psalm 23. That is the psalm of the Good Shepherd. Which is, The Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.